This week on The Burning Archive, we're going to turn down the music on J.S. Bach just for one week and turn up the music from one of the great total artworks of the 21st century. That's right, the music from the massive multiplayer online role-playing game World of Warcraft. And we will turn our attention to computer games as perhaps now the best place to turn to to foster curiosity about the past and to save the past from the burning archive. Could it be that computer games are the best place to look to preserve and foster history and culture? And we have a very special guest who will be putting the question, am I prepared to answer that question? What do you think, Illidan? Welcome to episode 32 of the Burning Archive podcast. Last week we had the last of seven topics from Raya Rich's Canon of One's Own episode where she identified seven questions or issues that savvy young people would like to know more about to do with history. Often the kind of things that are back of your mind that you really think you do know, but you don't really know, like what is the Crusades? And this week, we have a second special guest of the podcast who, again, is going to set the agenda for the podcast going into 2022. And in a minute, I will introduce that special guest. But first, just let me mention a couple of programming notes, things about listener questions. So last week, uh, there were a bunch of listener questions from Hardy and from Ryan, and also previously another listener question about uh, Portuguese and Spanish Empire, and I'll be incorporating those listener questions into episodes in 2022. Also, the questions coming out of today's special guest will also be incorporated into that program for 2022, but do please send in your listener questions. Over January, I'm going to do a couple of special summer episodes reviewing 2021 and making some predictions for 2022, and so we'll get back to the sort of the topics of today and listener questions from early February. So do send in some questions if you have them. Okay, so now our special guest and the special guest today is Isaac Rich. Hello, Isaac. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself, Isaac, to the yeah, Burning sure. Archive listeners? <laughs> to the Burning Archive. So my name is Isaac Rich. Uh, I am a recent graduate of Monash University. I studied international studies and sustainability at uni. Um, so that sort of carries on from, I guess, uh, an interest in history growing up, uh, in part living with the Honourable Jeff Rich of the Burning <laughs> Archive, uh, which is definitely kind of 
inspired my kind of uh, interest in history and some of my questions today come from that upbringing let's say I don't (laughs) want to reveal too much about the questions just yet Um, so yeah that's me fantastic fantastic and how would you describe your interest in history Uh, I would describe it as a bit on and off maybe maybe a bit informal Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've never formally studied history really I didn't do history sort of I I guess early high school I did it in school I didn't do it in the sort of later years of school and history is something that like has come into my uni degree in different ways a lot but it's never been this sort of core focus of my degree so yeah it's something that has always been a kind of background interest um, and something that I think a lot of things that I'm interested in are linked to history things like geography and travel and pop culture and that sort of thing. Fantastic. And now uh, I should tell the listeners, so Isaac's going to give me six questions for me to think about in a second. I should tell listeners that I don't know what these questions are. I don't even, I know there's a theme. I don't even know what the theme is. So we'll just see. This will be part of the theatre of the show. So (laughs) uh, you can judge if, if there's any real blank out spots i'll probably edit them out but Mm -hmm. let's hear first i said what is the theme of these six questions you're going to ask me so the theme something which i think you will be uh very interested in slash something that you already know a bit about the context of i've themed these questions around gaming Uh so (laughs) (laughs) this is something uh and you'll see they're they're not quite talking about gaming itself um but they're all questions which are in some way linked to different games that i played a lot of growing up which uh for me was a big part of something that kind of spurred on my interest in history was um seeing how history was reflected in fantasy and um pop culture and all that sort of thing um so there's a few a few games that you will definitely they're all things that you would have heard of or even played yourself um and then sort of elements or themes within those games that are linked to questions about real world history oh that's That's great that's great well that's really interesting too because games i guess are now such a big part of the culture. And I guess they're talked about a bit, but maybe not super seriously or whatever, or or, or the intellectual or cultural content of mm. the games is not necessarily talked about a whole lot. But, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a huge part of the culture. You, you didn't necessarily watch all that much television as no. a kid, but you, you know, played games and things like that. So the... The, the culture that is was in games is as significant and formative mm-hmm. as as um you know what was on the TV screens kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And even if it's you know even if it varies quite a bit in terms of like the historical accuracy or or that sort of thing, these are all yeah. things that are, I guess kind of inspired and and kind of built into games. Yeah. Um, part of this theme came out of listening to the episode on Beowulf. Oh yes. Um, and hearing sort of. <laughs> You know, you talk about um, how a lot of the kind of fantasy creatures and and that sort of thing, and that idea of, of like a fantasy world or a or a yeah mythical questing kind of world came out of that yeah. um, 
that story. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool, cool thing. Um, so, yeah. Fan- fantastic. All right. Okay. So shall we? Shall we um, jump right in? Jump right in. Yeah. Cool. Let's Question do it. Question number okay. one. <laughs> Question number one. So for all the questions, I'll first say what game they link to. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the listeners out there, you may or may not have heard of or played these games before. Um, but you're welcome to go and search them up or maybe we'll give you some context as we go through the questions. So the first game, one that I was very, very, very familiar with throughout my teen years is Skyrim. You should have acted. They're already here. The Elder Scrolls told of their return. Their defeat was merely a delay. To the time after Oblivion opened. When the sons of Skyrim would spill their own blood. But no one wanted to believe. Believe they even existed. And when the truth finally dawns, It dawns in fire! Which is a sort of open world fantasy game and has a big kind of, is centered a lot around the idea of dragons. So I wanted to know from the Burning Archive, what is the history of the mythology of dragons? I know it's something that I think at least I associate a lot with, I guess, European kind of stories or, or like more Western kind of stories, but I know there's, you know, Chinese dragons are a big thing. So whether those kind of East Asian mythologies or stories or traditions are linked to kind of more European ideas or whether they've sort of developed totally independently and whether there are any other sort of ideas out there that I'm not aware of. Fabulous question. Fabulous question. I'm tempted to sort of pop over and grab one of my reference books. <laughs> Just give me a Lost sec. document. Because, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm not exactly sure, but this is going to be an interesting question to explore. Like, like you know, when do dragons first really appear? I mean, as you say, I'm, I'm sure they've been in Chinese you know, or East Asian culture are really dominant, uh, like an important mythical creature. I'm not sure if they're entirely yeah. called dragons or whether they have different names or something like that. Mm. Um, and But as I'm doing some quick research here on the fly in my... There you go. Well, there's... Uh, see, I have this book here called The Complete Dictionary of Symbols in Myth, Art and Literature. Ah. Very good. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because it sort of looks at both the, I guess, the historical context, but also the psychological sort of symbolic significance. And mm. it says dragons are probably the most universal of all mythical creatures. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Ferocious, there's all sorts of yeah. different representations of them, there, but they're yeah. all quite sort of similar, I feel. Um, yep. In terms of yep. the visual representations and the kind of I guess, yeah. properties or characteristics that they have. Yep. Yep. According to this one, it says dragons are generally beneficent, as in, you know, 
good and kind mm. symbols in the east and malevolent in the west. Right. Um, and, yeah, dragon seems to be related to a Greek word, dracon, meaning I. So, again, it's sort of like they're sort of guardian, certainly guardian in the sort of European you know, tradition, it's sort of guardians hoarding treasures yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I suspect it's a little bit more different as as well. But, yeah, they're, they're so dominant and they're, and they're such – and then they also get imported into Christian – Mm. Uh, mythology as well, like Saint, right. Saint George defeats Saint the George. dragon, mm. and it's almost like a um, a symbol of um, external evil, temptation, and wrongdoing in the world. Um, the devil, almost right. So you know, outside the State Library of Victoria, there's actually a statue of Saint George slaying the dragon, and so and so that's a uh, that's a very um, powerful symbol within Christian things. And then, then it gets incorporated yeah. in similar ways into fantasy, et cetera. So that is mm. a fabulous one. Fabulous Excellent. One. Now, I guess the Glad other question would be, like uh, is, is there a particular thing about <laughs> dragon slayers as well with uh, <laughs> Skyrim? <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll Fru- keep that. Fruce Roda. Uh, you know, the game... Uh, Game experts amongst the podcast. Yeah. We'll see how the Burning Archive transitions. <laughs> you run out of content on history. We can yeah. talk to gaming chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I Fantastic. think that would be really, and like you said, like the sort of symbolic value of them as well. Yeah, um, totally. And, and how that varies. And yeah, as you say, there's that interesting, they're different manifestations in different cultures because they'd be i'm sure they're dragon type figures in hindu mythology as well so mm. you yeah, know a lot it, of... it's very ubiquitous isn't it yeah so i think that would be really interesting to yeah hear the, the history or maybe even some of those kind of lesser known dragon stories yeah um that are out there yeah yeah fantastic well starting with the big one. The big gun. <laughs> fire. Starting fire. with fire. Draconis. What is it? Ah, uh, uh, from Game of Thrones. Draconis. Yeah. Draconis or something. Yeah, something that's like right. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, that's a good one. So, what's question number two? So, question number two comes from a game which I know you're slightly more personally familiar with, uh, from a game called Civilization. is a series i guess an empire building game a turn-based strategy game i was i wanted to take something from from civ as some call it um but i wasn't sure what direction to go with because i guess the idea with civilization is that there are a lot you you kind of almost try and recreate the histories or the kind of 
strategic dynamics of lots of different cultural histories or, or kind of societies. So as a way of trying to bring that a little bit all into one thing, I want to know, because this is a term that I think has come up throughout my study every now and then, what is the cradle of civilization? Does that just refer to, I believe it's called Mesopotamia, which is sort of the Middle East, the kind of upper Nile region where a lot of big ancient civilizations originated? Is it a broader term? Is it is it a sort of official historical term or is it just something that people kind of say informally? Yes. Well, cradles of civilization, it, I guess, traditionally refers to, I guess, what we now know as the Middle East or West Asia or, you know, Mesopotamia sort of area. So where the first agrarian-based traditions that within the European lineage, let's say, yeah. uh, even though they're not European, um, <laughs> uh, emerged. And so it sort of describes uh, those sort of areas. So, you know, and then it's like the Sumerian and the Babylonians and Persians and all, all that sort of stuff. So it kind of refers to 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 that and and it that was very much the i guess the standard thinking for a, a very long time i guess in i'm just checking something here about mm. about it, doing my, my research on the fly research as well. on the go <laughs> <laughs> the uh so it's the standard i guess theory that civilizations develop in a certain way which is mm. you know agriculture and city building and 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 I guess reflected the the archaeology, but what people would generally say now is that there's not a unique pattern of civilizational or social development, right. I guess, and and even something like agriculture uh, developed um, independently and you know without like a, a like a chain of influence and copying in different parts of the world. So in South America and in Papua New Guinea and in, you know, the traditional cradle of civilization in the Middle East and obviously also in, um, you know, China, East Asia as well. So agriculture as such developed in those sort of multiple regions of the world organically somehow from human interactions with the environment. Uh, right. And learning and social, some sort of mechanisms within social development that were dependent upon, like a, a founding civilization that everyone else sort of learnt from, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, and there's a great book which you might be familiar with by Felipe, Felipe Fernandez. Fernandez <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of this. Right. Yeah. Which is called civilization, right? Yeah, which is called civilizations, and and yeah. you know his his kind of basic hypothesis is that we should think of civilizations the way we think of like a garden r r sort of thing in relationship mm -hmm. to nature. So it's sort of like structured and shaped by humans rather than just full of weeds and wild and unshaped and all that mm. kind of stuff. And that there have been, um, if you strip civilization from its sort of triumphalist 
we are the best civilization sort of baggage and just treat it as a process of providing or, or, or first of all, creating, I guess, cities or urban or structured or, mm. or orderly, formalised, you know, garden, um, um, you know, gardening the environment in which human habitation is in, then there have been many, many versions of that. And he, what he, mm. what he actually does is look at the all the different, what's the right word, sort of ecosystem, sort of or, or yeah, because yeah, environmental quite, types. Yeah, yeah, it looks at the, the highlands and the yep. and the sort of plains or or, or like, I don't yeah I don't remember the specifics, but yeah I do remember, and they're quite they're linked in ways that you wouldn't expect. I, I think from memory, there was sort of, you know, regions in South America that he was kind of equating on some level to, you know, the Scottish Highlands or something like that. Yeah. Um, which I found really interesting yeah. when I skimmed through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you know, maybe that's uh, that going through those things could be the basis for, for going for, for the show. But, for example, he mm. talks about the ice worlds and the tundra. So yeah. talking about the Sami in Scandinavia who very much lived off the reindeer sort of thing. Um, mm. And then you have uh, the Eurasian steppe, which is your... Uh, he describes as the highway of civilizations. So, you know, China, Mongolia, or the spread of many, many empires through there. And then you have uh, like tropical lowlands, like the great Mayan civilizations, that sort of thing. Um, and then at some point or other, he gets to your, your classic classic traditionally conceived cradle of civilization which i think he describes as the near east right yeah yeah, yeah. and the, that's sort of that nile yeah. region yeah and his his um his his sort of title for those things is the shining fields of mud <laughs> so <laughs> they're alluvial as in like floodplains alluvial mm. um territories in in a in a mild sort of drying climate, so yeah. so yeah, so I mean, I guess that that that's so it's a great term, and it's sort of it's interesting, isn't it? Because then you know someone has taken that concept, stripped out some of the old imperialist, let's say, baggage mm. of it, yeah, or, or or and also maybe just lack of knowledge, you know, to be generous to to. People thinking about it in the past, they might not have known about, you know, agriculture and Papua New Guinea and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of research uh, that's taken to that, yeah. get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of uh, given a, a new twist, and, but sort of still had that sense of, well, we don't just live, we just don't, we sort of adapt to our environment and we also yeah. adapt the environment to us a little bit as well and we do that in all sorts of interesting different ways so yeah awesome Excellent. Yeah, so that will be an interesting one i think obviously it's quite a broad question so uh i would be uh very content for the burning archive to take it in whatever direction you see <laughs> whether it's talking about specifically those kind of the persia and what yeah. did you say Sum sumer 
Sumerian, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I guess the sort of ancient Egypt, ancient Greek, that sort of that region, or whether it's you know, you want to talk about how lots of different ancient civilizations kind of was able to develop independently, or even you know what you mentioned about the idea of civilization as being a bit of an imperial, yeah. Um, model for looking at the world. Um, One could even do a whole show on the game civilization as a as a, a as an experiment in model simulation of social behavior really yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> or even as a as a sort of form of i don't know a, a maybe more pop culture oriented yeah way of keeping things from the burning archive there's a lot of historical kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, writing and references yeah. in that game, which is quite interesting. Yeah. All right. Question awesome. three. Three. Very good. So question three uh, links to perhaps the most exciting slash most relevant game <laughs> to you, uh, <laughs> which is linking to World of Warcraft. And the question actually is a listener question. Uh, It is not a listener question, which has, there's no voice to this. I'm reading this on behalf of a listener and a friend of the show, Sam, who has sent in a question, basically asking about the idea of professions in in the Middle Ages or, or I guess, yeah, medieval sort of times or, or, or historically. So... Uh, yeah. yeah, what what were professions? Things like blacksmiths, merchants, all that sort of thing. And I guess extending that is that linked to the idea of guilds and mercantilism. Um, mm. They're things that I guess I've looked at a little bit here and there in my uni studies, uh, and that sort of get thrown around. Um, I know in some economic theory and that sort of thing. Something that I was looking at last year was the idea of Adam Smith, who's a kind of I guess controversial figure in economics, but um, a lot of his theories were came out of being anti-mercantilist or anti-kind of guilds, I think yep. was, was the gist of that. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, what were those things? Were that all linked? Um, and maybe how are those traditions, how have they transformed into what we have now in modern society or, or have they been forgotten? Um, yep. Yeah. What a great question. So the, the primary professions in World of Warcraft, let's see if I can remember <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> Uh, tailor, blacksmith, yeah, leather worker, skinner, alchemist, alchemist, yes, alchemist, jewel crafter, uh-huh. uh huh, miner, yeah, and is that it? It was herbalist, herbalist, yeah, and I think like engineering or engineering or something, which yeah. were a bit more and enchanting, kind of yeah, yeah, fantasy yeah. at least yeah. enchanting, but yeah. yeah. So, so there are three gathering professions of skinning, mm, mining, mining and, and herbalism. herbalism, which are, are all sort of almost like, uh, well, herbalism's like your semi-agricultural profession. Yeah. And skinning is sort of your living kind off the of, land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, killing the wild beasts and skinning the sort of mm. thing, sort of thing. So, but, but they're not 
full-on farmers and then the miners obviously digging stuff out of the ground. Mm. Uh, and then the others are all your sort of, uh, except for alchemy and enchanting, they're your classic um, traditional crafts. Trades or trades. crafts, yeah. yeah. Um, so blacksmithing and leatherworking and tailoring and all that sort of thing. And and then alchemists, well, there were real alchemists, so there is that most mm. One of the more famous ones being Paracelsus. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Honoured honor in the game by a character known as Paracelsus Elf. But, um, Which is uh, Elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, but obviously alchemy, I guess, is something that you get sort of blown out in a lot of games to be a bit more mystical yeah, and magical right. yeah, than yeah, probably exactly. it was and, in yeah, real history. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then enchanting. And so... I mean, I guess the so probably the enchanting and the alchemy are your sort of clerical scholarly dabbling in the strange arts of magic mm. kind of type of person sociologically, so to speak. Yeah, because um, alchemists were generally wealthy, well-educated people who were pursuing a, a kind of a psychological quest through mucking around with chemical experiments, basically. <laughs> mm, right. Was there an element of, like, early medicine to it as well? Or was it yeah. more what you're yeah, yeah. About, like, yeah, yeah. more psychological? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a, a, an element of uh, medicine and, 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 and of chemistry, I guess, a, a form of sci- scientific experiment and actual observation of well, what happens if you do, if you burn this, what happens kind of thing. Mm. But um, they're, they're really of interest to, I mean, Carl Jung, the psychologist, pseudo-mystic kind of guy, uh, who I talked about a bit last week with the archetypes and stuff like that. He he did a huge study about alchemy and he sort of basically studied it as a kind of an externalised psychological right. process. But then the, the middle tier of the urban trade professions, urban in the sense of small village or mm. whatever, as in non, not, not an agricultural sort of profession, you know, I think over time their proportion of the workforce would have, you know, waxed and waned. Yeah. Uh, and part of the thing with, like, the Dark Ages was the proportion of the workforce who were in, who were involved in just agricultural peasant labour increased and the sort of ur- urbanisation and urban crafts. Right. Decrease sort of skill well. sharing and that's yeah. Sort of, yeah, 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 specialization, less markets, and all that sort of stuff. So they're obviously mm. dependent on having you know, uh, having um, people come back and sell their stuff on the auction house. You see, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> another excellent reference. <laughs> uh, and then so I, I guess you know, and all those trades are you know, pretty long standing. Mm. kind of uh, things. I mean, I, I don't know how long-standing and uh, facilitated by urban growth and by market growth. Mm. And so, you know, the more people there are who've got money to spend on buying clothes, the more tailors there will be. Mm. Um, 
And over time, what happens from uh, really, at least in Europe, from, I don't know, 1200, 1300 period of time, maybe earlier, is, you know, that all, all these groups have a professional identity and have an interest in having quality work, I guess, mm. in the same way. Like like today, you have a doctor who yeah, has yeah, who's yeah. a registered doctor, not just a union, but there's actually like, you know, you've got to get your qualifications and you have to right. be registered as a doctor kind yeah. of thing. Guilds are kind of, if you like, a self-organised version of that saying um, you can't just call yourself a tailor if you get a needle and a thread and start sewing stuff, you, you, you've got to pass an exam of uh, that shows you can actually genuinely make a dress or a suit or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so they are both a social group, like people of like profession getting together, and they're also a, a training base, so masters and apprentices kind of thing. They organise the apprentices. Mm. And they're also a, a kind of an early union sort of thing. Right. Uh, and over time, they sort of play more or less active role in the rules. Uh, but to some degree, some of the the sort of early sort of unions sort of build from them. But but um, especially with the the growth in the urban and industrial workforce in from the 18th century guilds become more sort of representatives of the master like the employers let's say right uh, and unions then start to represent more the sort of general interests of the employees and sort of start to take different forms yeah yeah uh, I think, yeah, that would be really interesting. And I guess sort of from what you said, I think this has sort of been a bit similar with some of the other questions as well. But the idea that like I think my image of merchants or blacksmiths or, or, or you mm. know, those idea of guilds, it's also quite it's quite like Europe focused. Yeah. Um, so, again, you know, one you could maybe take in a few different directions. But yeah. uh, whether, yeah, you touch on kind of the idea of like were there similar well, there's similar dynamics where you had these trades yeah. emerge in, in yeah. other regions. Um, oh, absolutely. And were they similarly kind of represented by things like guilds or was it structured in a much different way within society? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. What are we up to now? Question number four. four. All right. So this one, in a sort of odd way, maybe through mercantilism is a little bit linked. And it's also a, in part, listener question um, from another friend of the show, Ella, who sort of came up with the idea of talking about the mafia. Uh, And this is something that I think is somewhat linked in terms of connecting it to a game, to Assassin's Creed. I promise I'll give her my full attention. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is another game which I played a lot of. Uh, I don't think you played much of, um, but it's a big, a big franchise and a lot of the early games were set in different regions of Italy. Um, so I think Florence, Rome, Venice, and then they went on to sort of expand out and, and go to different parts of the world you know, in terms of the setting of the game. Uh, I have two questions that relate to Assassin's Creed, but the first one is talking about the mafia and I guess what the history of the mafia is. So I was talking to Ella and she was saying that she'd read or, or heard somewhere the idea that the mafia is actually something that sprung out of like origins in feudalism as kind of this, I guess, mercenary organization that's somehow related to, you know, protection fees and that sort of thing. I'm not sure exactly how that all works. So that's what I'm getting you to do the research for. Yeah. Um, whether or not that is actually the case, whether that is the sort of history and if so, how that's all linked together um, and what sort of dynamics were occurring in that time that have kind of led to the mafia being what it is now. And then also, I guess, extending that to, it's something that's not only come out of that historical origin, but it's spread so much. Yeah. So it's, you know, gone from this feudalist origin to an international crime organization how did the mm. mafia get from this small town thing you know, i think it originated from sicily to being in america uh which i guess is is somewhat related to migration and and um i think ella mentioned sort of world war ii maybe not world war ii but but sort of early 20th century migration to the states somehow linked there yeah. um but yeah it's sort of this this sort of quite hectic growth of an organization um, that I think we think of as quite a modern thing maybe, but actually has really, really long, deep-rooted yeah, history. Yeah, well, that is a fabulous question. Fabulous question. So I don't know really about in detail about the uh, history of the mafia, so that's going to be a really interesting mm. topic to uh, research. Stumped. I'm stumped on that one. Uh, there's a few fragments I mean, in general, I think like organised, especially like in opposition to organised crime, you have police, right? Okay. So, um, and police really start to, so modern policing really emerges, at least in European influenced countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't want to sound obsessed with this, but, but I, <laughs> I know my facts about that. Um, yeah. Uh, like early 19th century kind of thing, often in more societies without such an organised form of state-sponsored civil protection, which is, mm. I guess, what the police is, people would would have, you know, various forms of local warlord sort of type protection, so to speak, or informally organised you know, but like if you couldn't rely on the police to and the law to sort some, you know, rogue element in your village out, then who are you going to call kind of thing to, yeah. to sort of stop, you know, whatever it is, you know, rape. Resolve whatever. the conflict yeah. somehow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, So to some degree I think some of the organised crime things is – has some common elements with that sort of kind of, let's call it pre-modern form Mm. of informal 
sort of social protection slash feud, you know, as you say, like a feudal protection racket. And, and that's what a protection racket is like. Right. I mean, a protection racket's a bit different, but it's we're offering you protection from the other gang, but you're going to just have to pay us to, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take our cut to do it. So I, I think. And you sort of inevitably up. end up giving up some control or some, yeah, you can see how that spreads because, you know, that organisation can then have influence on the people that are paying them as well. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And then I, I think too, I think I feel it's in the 20s or something maybe, maybe that it starts to really grow in America, but it might be earlier than that. But that would be a really interesting sort of thing to mm. do as well because, you know, at, at times like Italians in America have experienced lots of prejudiced ethnically based discrimination as well and that might have also contributed to driving some of the informal support for the the mafia within mm. uh, those migrant communities because they felt victimized by the rest of society so this you sort of you know you 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 see sort of dark brotherhood um yeah very thing. good <laughs> excellent reference um yeah yeah, totally. It's a sort of, like, I guess, anti-establishment or, or yeah. kind of, you know, marginalised groups pushing back against the people that are discriminating against them. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that will be a terrific one to do, the mafia. And I, I, I feel that the mafia in America has been broken or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, feel, I feel it's, I don't its power has so now really been... It's not the major crime force that it used to be. So yeah. that that in itself will be an interesting. I mean, there's both the, the rise, but then also it's sort of um, what, why is it? Yeah, disintegration. Has it just been replaced by something else or is there some yeah. some other, other story going on? Mm. So, yeah, no, I think that would be a good one. And I think, yeah, the mafia is something that comes a lot up a lot in in pop culture i mean assassin's creed itself is is much earlier than yeah, yeah. than this but you do see that kind of it has like all said, those lo- local elements. warlords and and feudalist yeah. elements and that sort of thing yeah. um and yeah there's there's obviously a lot of pop culture and movies that are quite well known with the mafia in it like the yeah. godfather uh, yeah. which i've never seen but um a very yeah. very famous so you movie. know what i i i still haven't watched the godfather uh, Even, uh, I remember when it got its Academy Award sometime <laughs> in the 1970s, but I still yeah. haven't watched it. So I'm going to have to watch it for this, this episode. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> a bit of historical context. Have a few audio clips from The Godfather, maybe. Nice. Some good, some good lines in there. Um, yeah, was, yeah, so there's The Godfather and then another one that... Great uh, question, Ella. Thank show you. That, yeah, another show that Ella mentioned was um, when we were talking about this is a show called, I think it's called The Mafia Only Kills in Summer. Um, and it's an Italian TV show. Ah. Um, and it sounds really interesting because it's the idea is it sort of tells the story of the mafia or shows how the mafia affects people's lives, but on yeah. a very day-to-day basis. And it's told through the eyes of a little kid. Yeah. And sort of how he sees the mafia um, affect his life through seeing his parents or, you know, um, yeah, all these little things. And so it's a really interesting perspective. From the dust to which our civilization first rose, so too shall we return. 
As the light of our people fades to nothingness, we wonder if one will rise to rekindle our flame. Froze for some reason. It happens. It happens. So, so you you were saying mafia only kills in summer, and and so it follows the story of the kid in the and the sort of experience of how people sort of. Well, their experience with the mafia, yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, I think that's that's interesting because it it's clearly something that the mafias and institutions would have changed a lot for a long time, but maybe you know, in some ways, hasn't changed much at all in terms of uh, just being something that that has quite um, minor impacts on people's lives or quite day to day impacts on people's lives, yeah. which maybe is sort of you know that idea of it coming from from feudalism is is sort of similar back in its origins. Well, I mean, and that would also be maybe the interesting way to take it too, which would be to focus more on the mafia in Italy as well. And because, I mean, there's the ending of the mafia in uh, America, but, you know, the ending of the mafia in Italy has been an enormous thing. And, I, like, I remember that there was, a like, the judge who was conducting some of the main mafia trials in the 80s or 90s or something like that like it you know he was like seriously under threat um yeah a lot of the time and and you know it's it's a whole different um set of social relationships there in southern italy versus northern italy all that sort of mm-hmm. thing yeah could even bring up douglas north yeah, like institutions. institutions. <laughs> Something that I looked at this year. In well, one of well my I guess subjects. I mean, and in that, I mean, the mafia is a, a functioning social institution. In that, I mean, it, it, you know, in some ways, it's providing protection and employment and security for at least a group mm. of people, and and mm. and taking it away from another group of people. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily a net benefit, but no. a benefit to some. <laughs> All right. Question sure. five. Okay. So this is another Italian-oriented thing, which is maybe a little bit more directly linked to Assassin's Creed. This is something that some people or someone uh, who you come across in this game, the question is, who were the Medicis? Ah. Something I've... Asked you here and there before, I think. Uh, from my knowledge, it's the Medici's were a sort of significant family in Italian history, in particularly the sort of Renaissance period. Is that right? Um, and just were there's sort of a long legacy, a long, I guess, lineage of people who uh, were uh, political leaders or kind of um, had a big influence on Italian society in that time. So who were they? What are what are some of the kind of stories around the Medici's that maybe kind of uh, link to modern culture or society? Yep. Um, yeah. What influence did they have in that period? Yep. So the Medici's were a, Flor- a family from Florence, and I think I think they've been traced back to maybe the 1300s, maybe earlier. Uh, but they they really emerged strongly in the early 1400s and as a 
family of bankers and mm. they become enormously, enormously wealthy as a, a banking family. And there, and, and in this era, there were like a, a few European, they were like the, uh, it's not really banking families anymore, are there? Like they used to no. be Rothschilds and things like that. But it's yeah. sort of like, you know, maybe whatever. The, the, maybe the Gates. The Goldman the... Sachs of, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how would a Goldman yeah. Sachs of Italy um, in, uh, or and and one of the major banking families in Europe in fifteenth uh, and sixteenth centuries, mm. and they, in addition to being uh, wealthy bankers, they also coming back to Sam's question earlier on. You know, they they being uh, the 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 wealthiest group in Florence. Florence was also partly based on its its wealth was partly based on its sort of textiles industry, right. weavers and things like that. And they would have various, uh, you know, issues with the guilds who controlled the textile industry. There you go. So uh, <laughs> good link. Uh, good link. Good link. And um, uh, but they, the Medici's also became the sort of dominant political family in Florence through most of the 15th century. And I think the first major guy was Cosimo de' Medici and then there were a a number of others. And then there there was another guy called Lorenzo de' Medici who I think was Cosimo's son or grandson. I can't quite remember. And he was known as Lorenzo the Magnificent. So they were bankers who became, in a very crafty way, the sort of oligarchs of Florence. And although there was it was formerly a republic, they actually they they the um, the elections in Florence really were rigged (laughs) by the Medici. Yeah. Without making any references to current political events, <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, uh, businessman turned politician. Maybe there are some links there. <laughs> um, and and then they also became uh, patrons of the arts. So you know, uh, they were the Florentine Italian Renaissance is partly built on Medici money and and it wasn't without uh, conflict because there were sort of rival family clans and, you know, like kind of like a civil war feud type situation that went on for a large part of the 15th century in Florence. Mm. Uh, And ultimately the Medicis also, based on their wealth, and their power end up uh, getting one of their family members to be the uh, the Pope. Ah, in fact, a couple of their family members, the Popes. Right. Um, and these were the Popes. I think either just before or just during the sort of Reformation period in the fifteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and you know they were they were both. Um, 
what's the right word? Uh, they were both highly effective as wheelers and dealers and whatnot, but also generally uh-huh. seen as highly immoral and part of the reason why the Reformation happened. So interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Not, not particularly devout in some ways, maybe. And then the final thing about the Medici's is the 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 Medici's were the ruling family in Florence when they were deposed in around about fifteen hundred, and uh, the one of the leading bureaucrats of Florence of that that time was exiled as well. Uh, ah. And he, he, that bureaucrat was Niccolo Machiavelli, who also I think comes ah. in Assassin's Creed, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah, I think he comes up. Yeah, there's a lot of those figures that, that come up in the game. Yeah, and and uh, so Machiavelli's most famous work is called The Prince, and that's actually um, sent to the one of the Medici's who would become the Medici Pope, one of the Medici Popes in the hope of um, currying favour with the, you know, the rule, the, the, the powerful family in opposition. Right. So there you go. It was a, the world's greatest suck-up job, but it was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't isn't there a, a term? Is Machiavellian Machiavellian? Is that is that like a yeah. a term for something? Is that sort of linked to that idea of like being a little bit snide or well, or well, sort of uh, a, a, amoral, amoral in the pursuit of power. And right. yeah, and uh, although that wasn't really Machiavelli was kind of like a realist, he's mm. saying there's no point talking about Christian virtues when you're talking about power and war and stuff, you've just got to do what works, kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's probably a little bit of an un, unfair representation of him, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's essentially that that's the origin that's the origin of that term. It refers to Machiavelli. Interesting. The rise of the bureaucrats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, he you know he he got exiled. He never got back into office. Right. <laughs> his books were never published in his lifetime, and he got tortured. <laughs> So, so maybe it is a fairly accurate representation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I think that there's definitely seems to be a lot of interesting stories there. And, um, yeah, like you said, about being the patrons of the arts as well. Um, Florence is obviously a really beautiful place with a lot of, yeah, um, very internationally renowned or, or famous artistic or creative kind of pieces or, yeah, or yeah. places um yeah yeah and the medici they're absolutely fascinating family um with you know the usual mix of inspiring and horrible yeah. and uh and just playing idiotic um yeah <laughs> uh, and, and i think there's 
Oh, at least there was a TV series on SBS about the Medici yeah. as well, which was it's quite quite good. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. All right. Question My number final six. Question. Final one. Question number six. So this question, uh, I guess, links to a few different things. It's it's again a, a broader question. Um, so there's links to there's a game called Age of Empires, but there's a spin-off game of that called Age of Mythology. Uh, and also some, I feel like maybe more um, popular TV shows or TV show theme in recent time. In recent times, obviously there was the massive show Vikings. So talking about those sort of things, I would like the Burning Archive to give us a bit of an overview summary of Norse mythology. Uh, awesome. So who were the big gods uh, or something that I, even though I know, you know, some of the gods, Odin was the sort of main person or main god in that, right? And then there's, there's Freya uh, and a few other figures. Um but also how is it practiced? That's something that I, I really don't know anything about. And maybe even what are its sort of modern legacies or modern legacies, whether in, in sort of culturally or um, yeah. in terms of artifacts or places that that kind of reflect that history. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, one of the, I believe, I mean, it's not quite the mythology, but they say that, Iceland, which was settled by the Vikings in, I don't mm. know, around 900 or something like that, it had the first parliament in the world. Right. It, it, had, a, it, had, a, it had a assembly, democratic sort of assembly, which was called the Thing, I think. <laughs> the thing, I think. Probably a lot memory. harder to say in Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you could say, in a way, that's that's one pretty significant uh, legacy, at least of that general culture. But right. yeah, so yeah, the Norse myths. Um, so yeah, there's God, uh, there's um, Odin, Thor, Thor, yeah, Freya, Loki. You know, they're all in the sort of Marvel type shows yeah. these days in various uh, forms. Um, your question about how was it practiced is a really fascinating question too because most of what we know about uh, Norse mythology is the stories that were written down at a later point after those societies had converted to Christianity. Right. Uh, so the story of how we actually keep the Norse myths in itself is sort of fascinating. You know, there, there's actually just a relatively small number of books that wrote down these sort of stories. And there's also probably some archaeology and um, that sort of thing that sort of looks at some of the practices and 
Mm. Um, and certainly, like in the show Vikings, I, I like I actually think the presentation of the religious practice and the mythologies is. I mean, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's very plausible. And it and what they do is actually they create this very fantastic sense of it being very strange and different to our own experience of right. um, religious community Religion. kind of thing. Like, you know, yeah. there's, there's sacrifice, like there's human sacrifice and and yeah. things like that. And they, they make it, uh, which, you know, has been a, not not rare feature of human societies over time, but um, mm. but they make it quite quite real. So yeah, totally, that would be a fantastic one. And a lot mm. of the, the the mythology stories are based uh, all gathered together in I think their books they were, they were collected by the speaker of the the sort of chair of the Icelandic thing, Parliament. Right. Snorri Snorrelson or something his name was <laughs> uh, in like the 12th century, something like that. Uh, and maybe there's also some of the references in the Icelandic sagas and things like that. But um, yeah. But it has been, it, it, it's been, it's an especially fertile I mean, it's mm. almost as fertile a set of myths, even if they have been partly influenced by Christianity, but it's as fertile a set of myths as Greek and Roman and yeah, it's you know, a really many sort of, others. Yeah. It's a really sort of epic, epic set of stories, yeah. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I guess maybe part of that is how, how uh, – foreign it feels especially you know being in australia and that that region of the world is very very different and so i think there's kind of an element of you know that icy warlord type yeah aesthetic um that is really cool um and that people don't necessarily associate with but but feel drawn to because of how unique it is from i guess our own experience um but yeah I think it's a. I think it's really interesting, um, and I guess yeah, what you said about uh, it it being something that's sort of actively maintained as a thing. So it's it's you know it's not something that, to my knowledge, is is practiced anymore. It's not like you have people that are um, Norse. I guess religiously uh, Norse. It's probably something that that uh, is still in a lot of ways ingrained in um, Scandinavian cultural tradition um but in a different way and maybe that's that's kind of yeah similarly trying to keep those traditions alive as opposed to them being organically kind of still present um which i think is an interesting dynamic especially for something that is quite like so well known um Mm. Mm. yeah to just be a sort of historical fragment rather than something that's still practiced I mean, like you couldn't really imagine World of Warcraft without Norse mythology. Like even the whole, yeah. the concept of the world tree. So mm. you know, the part of the thing with Norse mythology is there's a like there's a world tree, and we're sort of living in part of it, Yggdrasil, and you know that concept of a world tree, which is it can be dying, is so fundamental to. 
World of Warcraft, and then you have yeah. all, all the very obvious Thor and Loki type um, direct comparisons. And mm. yeah, <laughs> I will paint my face with your blood. blood. <laughs> and paint my face with your blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's something that comes up in a lot of a lot of games. I mean, Skyrim as well is very much you know if, uh, thematically or or visually into like totally based on on yeah. the idea of norse yeah. yeah um yeah and and there's a lot of there's a lot of references to that within the game yeah. um so yeah it's something that comes up a lot it's really pervasive yeah yeah fabulous so we've got six topics we do have six topics so well, I'll go through them yeah Little so, recap, or, or do you want to recap? Uh, no, I'm happy for you to. Yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, first up, we've got the game Skyrim and the idea of dragons and the mythology around that and all the different versions of of it, yeah. including some of the lesser known figures. We've got the game Civilization, and then related to that, the idea of the question is what are, what are cradles of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and does that concept really make sense anymore, or or how, how you know how do civilizations get going? <laughs> I guess yeah, much. exactly, yeah. exactly. And then we have World of Warcraft and professions or guilds, and how does that relate to? Well, I guess you know the I mean World of Warcraft. And a lot of fantasy games present that sort of medieval-y, renaissance sort of world um, of, medi- of, you know, tr- hand- handcraft trades. Um, and, and Combat weapons and yeah, armour and all that sort of thing, yeah. And then guilds and mercantilism and how that they sort of uh, relate to all of that. Uh, and we've got the Mafia and Assassin's Creed. And the mafia can go in all sorts of angles, but that's going to be a real learning one for me. So yeah, <laughs> and thanks to Sam for the question on the the professions on on World of Warcraft, and thanks to Ella for the question on Assassin's Creed and the mafia. And I reckon yeah, it'll be interesting whether I go the international angle or more the more particular local Italian mm. Sicilian sort of angle on on the mafia sort of one, and then also on Assassin's Creed, this is number five. We've got who were the Medici's? Uh huh. Great story. Great story. The great bankers, patrons of the arts, and political family of Florence, and then in relationship to age of mythology and Vikings, an overview of Norse mythology and what its sort of um, enduring influence is. Perfect. Great set of questions. Great Very set good. of questions. Well answered on the spot. <laughs> uh, and I'm interested to see uh, how it turns out with a bit of research as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on to the podcast, Isaac. Um, no problem. It was a pleasure. And I, as, as I said, I think earlier on, we will uh, probably start rolling out these episodes from like early February 
2022 next year um and i think my next pod after this i'm going to put out on new year's eve and it's going to be like the you know top 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 events of the year (laughs) never look back I'm not sure whether it's going to be serious or comic at this point, <laughs> depending <laughs> on how I feel over the next week. Um, but thanks again for coming on to the show, Isaac. And to all the listeners out there, do remember what they love as well would not be reft from thee. Illidan, from birth. The light in your eyes held such promise for the future. I sacrificed that birthright long ago. Do you not wish to reclaim what was lost? To be whole again? The Legion's end. Is all I seek. My child, you've given so much for so little. Your true potential, your redemption, lies before you. Let go of your shattered form and embrace the light's power. I've traded my freedom for power before. The prophecy must be fulfilled. Your old life has passed. The light will forge you a new one. It is not yours to take. The light will heal you.